We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? It's terribly hot in here. I think actually... You know, I've been exercising a lot, but I think actually just sitting here podcasting will count for my exercise today. I mean, there are no words for how angry I, I was yesterday when I found out that what I thought had been Diet Pepsi for like three hours of drinking soda was actually regular Pepsi. <laughs> I'm so sorry. There are too many colors. There's like the bottle is light brown. That, that's supposed to mean diet. Because cause then that was like all of my calories for the rest of the day. There's so many oh, of those. I just remember Sorry, that I have diet soda. I'm going to have some now. Fantastic. Yeah. See. We, yeah. This is this is a thing. The, the 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 normals don't understand what's going on right now. No. Like if you're if you're trying to watch calorie intake for any reason, soda is just you it, can't. It gets you crazy. Can't. You you, you get cal- insane. That was my fun evening last night. I was watching I was watching The Voice and thought I had been you know having a calorie free beverage. And you were sitting while it was happening. So yeah, we're just gaining and gaining. That's no good. Yeah, that's how it goes. That's how it goes. These are the things that I sit and think about when I'm watching The Voice. Either I'm overanalyzing every moment of the, the performances, or I'm looking over and going, "Gone." On that note, did not actually intend for that to be a segue, but I had fun talking Star Trek with a bunch of you guys this week, and also with you, uh, Simon. We have different takes on the on the film, but. Uh, but that that was fun talking with you guys. Talked with Matt, Kyle, and and Julius. Now, were, were you on? You're on the Sound and Sight uh, Star Trek podcast, so I can listen to that if I want more Star Trek. Yes. Yes, you can. Uh, we actually got we brought back one of our a former co-host, Marika McDonald, who helped us review every single one of the old Star Trek movies. And yes, there was a, a whole spectrum of reaction. I was actually not the most negative, surprisingly. Ooh, very interesting. Um, now, did, did you find? Do you find that your uh, immersion into the world of Trek through the Televerse with Next Gen and DS9 has informed your take on Star Trek at all? A little bit. I mean, I, I don't think that it, it's very clear that the the Abrams universe is a whole other deal. But also, it ties into my wider take on what Abrams is doing in film. And if you want to know anything about that, you're just going to have to listen to the podcast. So. Fair enough. I also go. talked uh, Supernatural with Kyle, who has uh, who wanted to pitch Mrs. Tran and Son Demon Hunters, which sounds awesome. Um, Ken, who brought up the whole Walking Dead thing, and now just I can't think about Walking Dead without thinking about how much better it would be if the Winchesters just like universe hopped because they would just have everything solved in like two days. They would they would be uh, no more zombie problem, no more Walker problem. No more governor problem. No more any of the bullshit on that show right now. Honestly, though, like the heroes of almost any other show would be better at dealing with the problems of The Walking Dead. Oh, yeah. Like think about Raylan Given showing up and just. 
yeah. blasting away all the zombies and the governor in one episode. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Don, Don Draper charming them with it with a campaign. I mean, Don Draper would just get drunk and get eaten. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, let us know which uh, which universe happening you would like to see to solve the the Walking Dead issues that that uh, may remain. If you're not very pleased with where it is now, at least I also talked Supernatural with Chris Julius. Uh, Matt and Keith, of course, uh, Matt and Keith and I talked about some of the montages, as I'm sure you're tired of me hearing. I'll talk about it later. I love that montage every year. Um, also talked Goodwin Games with Amory and Kyle. We'll talk about that a little later in the show. Vampire Diaries with Keith and Ken. Ken and I talked about the Buffy graduation as opposed to the Vampire Diaries graduation. We'll also talk about that later in the show. That doesn't sound like it's going to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Who with Derek and Ken. Um... What else? We have Bored to Death with Randy, Josh, Fly, Les, and Steve. Of course, at the end of the show, we'll have our DVD shelf with Scott Nuzlo from the week. We talked to Bored to Death. That was a lot of fun, so that'll be coming later. Also, uh, heard from Mario, who got his prize. So, we now have... Shall I reveal here? Shall I wait for a picture from Mario? Uh, I'm just really up to you. You crafted the prize. Crafted the prize. Well, seeing as I'm not sure quite when we'll get the picture from Mario, I will reveal that we now have the Televerse Traveling Gnome. And it's awesome. It's about yay tall, which I know is useless to all of you listening, but I would say like a couple feet. And uh, it has Mario's name on the bottom, and whoever he'll hold on to it until we have the next uh, the next winner, and then we'll write their name on the bottom and send it to them, and uh, hopefully we can have some fun with it. But I thought it was appropriately uh, uh, horrible looking and cheesy and fun, so... And I might actually make an effort next season. There you go. And it came with a gift card to Amazon so that Mario can, you know, further his TV collection and watching. So so Mario got his prize. So glad to hear that, Mario. And uh, also he was disappointed in Olivia in part of or some one of the reveals in this uh, the finale of Scandal. We'll also talk about that later. And finally, we heard from I'm going to say your name wrong, sir. I apologize. Jao. J-O-A-O. So I'm really not sure how to pronounce that. About Game of Thrones, apparently Joe Dempsey, who plays Gendry on Game of Thrones, has a memorable scene on Skins where he was naked. Because we were talking about on the Sound of Sight Game of Thrones podcast about the potentially unequal nakedness of that scene with him. We were wondering if maybe that's something that the actor has in his contract about about uh, a nudity clause or something. And uh, Joe's letting us know that, well, I don't think he has an issue with it because of his time on Skins. Um, so good to know. And also, he gives a rating on iTunes UK, so thank you very much. Woo! Now, after all that litany of, of awesome interaction, it, it really was, you know, I think Finale Week makes it even more fun because we're all buzzing about the cliffhangers and stuff. Uh, let's see, we, we should mention some of the things going on at Sound on Sight. We talked with Alyssa Bame on the Sound on Sight Game of Thrones podcast, and I discovered that I had been pronouncing her name wrong <laughs> the two previous times she was kind enough to come on this show. I feel like a total jerk. <laughs> Not Boehm, Bame, from the Big Red podcast. Of course, she talked Middleman with well, us. Well, she shouldn't have stuck an O in there, is all I have to say. <laughs> and it's her fault. Also, I talked with Derek and Bev and Eric and, and also the special guests from the Minute uh, Doctor Who podcast the, about the Doctor Who finale, and that will be going up this Wednesday. That's for the Sound of Sight Doctor Who podcast. How long did that end up being? So that, that, was, that will actually be, I think, clocking in somewhere around an hour um, for this, this week. So not not too bad, not too long. Um, but uh, speaking of the rest of the sound on site, what else is going on over there? Do we have any 
further traction on a certain pop music piece that was promised to us last month? Uh, no, I mean, I've been thinking about it again. It's sitting there. It's got a few thousand words sitting there. It's, the problem is I need to actually get it done soon because every week there's just more stuff that happens and I need to add things and it's just, it's not good. <laughs> yeah, eventually you do need to just publish and then you'll have to just go back and do a, you know, type two, or, you know, a second revision, you know, a year down the line or something. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of Sound of Sight stuff, you know, to be a little navel-gazing for a moment here, we're on episode 90. We're coming up on 100, and which means well, we're coming up on 102, 104th, sorry, which will be our second anniversary. I've already started pondering what I'm going to make you watch. Do you have any ideas on what oh. you're going to make me watch? No, but I'll... I'll start thinking about it. What what you're not even going to tell me what you've been pondering, oh, have you? I have a couple of different contenders, so I, I we'll see we'll see what I uh, what I decide on. Unfortunately, most of the ones that I would really want to make you watch, I don't know if they're accessible because there's stuff from my Canadian youth. Mm. But I'll have to think about it. Well, let us know if you guys have any suggestions, um, and also if there are any things you know suggestions for the hundredth episode or the two year anniversary. Let us know uh, what, you, what what you would like to hear there. And we're not going to have a guest. It'll just be us having fun. That's what we do for our anniversary. Uh, or, or all of one anniversary so far. That's what we did. So I think it's a good tradition to establish. Yeah. And maybe there'll be champagne this time. Sure. We record in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's my... We'll, we'll make mimosas or something. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make it work. But now let's go into our Week in TV. And we're going to kick things off with the comedies. That it's tradition for the bestish mensch to be older than the groom. Jim. I just really wish there was something I could do. Michael. I can't believe you came. That's what you said. <laughs> Best prank ever. This week in the comedies, we have, well, there are a bunch of different shows that we watched this week, but we're going to focus on the finales and the pilot that we watched. So first I'll talk about the Good Games pilot, and then we we have Make Kate Watch the Office series finale, which is called Finale, then the New Girls finale and Mindy Project finales as well. So to kick things off, the Goodwin Games pilot, um, I have one word in my notes, which is ouch. It's really unfortunate that uh, that this is the product that, that came together for the, the Good Games pilot because you have a really likable cast with uh, Becky Newton and T.J. Miller and and uh, Scott Foley. And the premise is good, you have, and there's Bo Bridges as well. There's, it's a very likable cast. They're very talented, and they should be able to make most material work. But the script is just terrible. The, the premise is decent. The premise could be kind of heightened wacky fun but they don't nail the tone they don't I mean just there's only so much performers can do with with dialogue like this and um yeah there's there's no way the show is coming back anyways because you know the cast is doing other things and it was ordered for the fall and is airing now so nothing's going to come of this and maybe people will have fun watching it but the the pilot was was disappointing enough and grown worthy enough that i'm just not going to tune in for the rest of the run i'll never understand why they bother airing stuff that's boa yeah i'll never understand it well they do need to fill x number of hours and their regular shows you know people don't really watch reruns in the way that they used to 
So there's that. And also they might want to, you know, just keep a strong relationship with some of the creative forces behind the show and the, the actors as well. And there's nothing, I imagine, quite so frustrating as you didn't even air it. So, uh, so, so that may be why. But, but yes, I would be surprised if people tune in for more than an episode or two of The Goodwin Games. Uh, next up is the Office series finale. Did you check this one out? I did. Now, how much of The Office have you seen? Oh, Jesus. Um, I actually never watched the first season because I heard it was such a carbon copy of the of the UK original. So I started with season two, which I think was probably a good move. And I recall having hugely fond memories of seasons, let's say, two to four. Four might actually be pushing it. Um, but certainly seasons two and three were fantastic. And I think it was solid for a long time. I stopped watching long after I should because my former roommate would watch it weekly um, along with Parks and Rec. And so I would tune into that. But always pretty disinterestedly, I saw a little bit of the, I would say probably eight or nine episodes of the Ed Helms being the boss era. And then I checked in on this finale. And I think... Um, the, it got into the habit of doing hour-long episodes, which I never understood, and I don't think this needed to be an hour-long either, frankly. But I, I did think there were uh, some nice moments, uh, particularly Erin's uh, moment with her parents, and including Ed Begley Jr. for some reason. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. I, I actually thought that the um, that the Steve Carell appearance worked, which I wasn't expecting, but maybe that was just me. And But yeah, other than that, there was, there was a... There was a general sense of self-congratulation, which I don't think really worked for me. But other than that, I mean, it went on probably two or three seasons too long, but there are worse ways to go out, I guess. Well, did, did you mean that you didn't expect to see him at all, or did, you didn't expect his appearance to work? I didn't. Ex- oh, I'm sh- I knew he was going to show up. I oh, okay. didn't expect it to work. Yeah, I thought that that worked very well. I would agree. And um, I, I know he had basically like two lines in the episode. I thought... It would have been better if they had just left it at that's what she said. The second line, it, it just because he didn't say anything else in the rest of the episode, it really stood out to me. Though it was a very good Michael line about your children marrying each other. And that makes yes. me, it was a very Michael line, but because he was so uninvolved in the rest of the episode, it felt a little weird to have him, you know, cut to him for that. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, it was an hour long and... Yeah, you know, in, in the ninth season, or is this the tenth season of a show? I'll give it to you. It wasn't as laugh out loud funny as I would have liked, but it felt appropriate for the fan base of the show. When I was watching it, I was going, you know what? This is good, and it's it's working well, and I am actually getting a surprising amount of connection from what I'm seeing, especially considering that I haven't really watched for the past several seasons. But I, you know, I imagine the people who have been watching are loving this and are, you know, tears all over the place. So, you know, I, th- I think there are much worse ways to go out. And, um, you know, the, the whole Jim and Pam thing, cutting it from last week to this week with the year in between and going from no, we're staying to no, we're going, I think doesn't really work. But the performances are so good. And getting that year later perspective after having, you know, for these characters to have had feedback about themselves, in in the past year, I thought was really interesting, and um, I also liked. Do you do you believe that Meredith was was getting her PhD? Because I kind of love that. Uh, that was nice. I mean, I think that the to get back to Jim and Pam. I mean, I think it made this episode made clear to me that 
my feeling that they ran out of stuff, interesting stuff to do with those characters years ago was just underlined for me this week. And getting those flashbacks to early episodes where they actually did, where they were interesting characters that had conflicts and things to overcome was not a good look for the finale when it was years and years after that had happened and had been over. Um, so yeah, it, it was just, it, it, some of it worked and some of it was just a reminder of, you know, I'm glad these people are going to get to move on and do other things now. Yeah. I, I think that the office holds a very dear place in the hearts of many TV fans. And, uh, I think that's, yeah, like that season two through, uh, late season three, you know, those two seasons are some of the most consistent and most satisfying and most funny uh, seasons of comedies we had, we've had in a long time. I thought they they really work and will hold up. Yeah, I think those are on par, like those seasons are on par with the best of Parks and Rec. Oh, definitely. I would agree. And so, so yes, is it a little over long? Is it a little self-serious perhaps, but They've been doing this for a long time. People have invested, you know, almost a decade of their life with these characters. I'll give it to them. And I thought Creed's song was very sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I love the, the beard. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> Let's move on, though, to the the New Girl and Mindy Project finales. First, New Girl, Elaine's Big Day, which was the second part after Winston's birthday. What did you think? You know, I'm glad we're doing these together because they were unsatisfying to me in similar ways. I really didn't like the new girl finale and that's, it was disappointing to me after liking a lot of the season in retrospect, they really did not do CC any favors over the last half of this season. I feel like so much of the show is revolved around the fact that she's getting married yet. We spent virtually no time with her discussing the fact that she's getting married. It's just like, Oh, I'm going to start a range. I'm I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get married. I'm going to meet a man. We met, we meet him. He's nice enough. We don't actually get any time with her reflecting on any of this. So then when the finale sort of hinges everything on a look between her and Schmidt and he and he detects something is wrong, it just it kind of just makes her seem like an idiot. <laughs> and it shouldn't like we should have spent the time doing the legwork with her so that we understood that this was going to be a big deal. Like, But no, we didn't spend the time. So it's just like, I don't know, it felt very empty. And, and frankly, everything to do with the wedding ruining antics just made them all seem like huge assholes. Yeah, I thought it worked and I, I definitely, I just completely agree with what you're saying about the, the legwork not having been done with CC or, you know, in the earlier part of this, this latter part of the season, I guess the, the episodes leading up, but I loved the, the notion that Schmidt is fine. He's matured. He's attending. He is, he has let go and moved on. And, and that the reason that he is sabotaging the wedding is not about him, but about Cece. I really liked that. I bought it, and I thought that, uh, yeah. I, you, I thought, really? You bought that? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did. I didn't I didn't buy that for a sec. I mean, the, 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 I, I would buy it if it weren't for the fact that the show clearly has him and Cece set up as, the, as his forever couple. Like, mm-hmm. as much as... As you know, they've given Merritt Weaver some some good screen time and some good material, but no one thinks that she's who he ends up with at the end of the show, and everyone thinks that Cece is who he ends up with at the at the end of the show. So it's it's too much for me to buy this notion that oh he's he's sabotaging the wedding for entirely unselfish reasons. Mm, it doesn't work for me. Okay, it did for me. <laughs> I guess I I 
I like that in this in this moment he knows her better than Jess. And that Jess has been wrapped up with what's going on with Nick and, and not picked up on a few things that maybe the audience should have picked up on and just didn't. Maybe that would have been better. But I still, you know, I, I bought it. I thought the mo- just that, that moment with the two of them worked really well and, and really fueled what came later. I, I had a lot of fun with Winston. And it, over the course of the episode, I think, yes, he's been an inconsistently written character, but he just the actors Lamar Morris is having so much fun in this episode and really giving it his all. And so when he's in the the duck saying, I'm pretty sure we're all going to die about the badger. Uh, just, it, it really worked for me. Yeah. He's the, definitely the comic highlight of the episode. And actually the, the only thing about the episode that really consistently worked for me, considering I'm sorry, but I still don't really care about Jess and Nick. And that takes me to my least favorite part of the episode. The right. Ridiculous and, fake out. Yeah. And I think that's, they're going to have trouble getting me invested in that next season. Yeah. We seem to be alone. Everybody else seems to love what they're doing with Jess and Nick. Well, who knows? Maybe, maybe in between seasons, she'll be assassinated and replaced by Amy Schumer. <laughs> that would be nice. No, that, uh, I, I think they, uh, I think there's a way to do that couple that, that I will really engage with, but why don't we just break up? Yeah. No, let's get back together is not the way to do it. Um, so as, as strong as that last scene is, as much as I do really enjoy Zoe Deschanel's performance in that and Jake Johnson as well, the, the, the breakup right before that I didn't buy for a moment. I was rolling my eyes and I was angry at my television. Yeah. So I'm hoping we don't get much more of that. Shall we move on to Mindy Project? Sure. Now, I really like the Mindy Project finale, and it sounds like you didn't. So let's start with you. Yeah, all right. Uh, I haven't been following the Mindy Project. I've been listening to you rave about it for weeks and weeks and weeks, and then guiltily not watching it because I didn't want to. <laughs> uh, and then I, we got to this week, and I was like, ugh, I'll, I'll practice my due diligence and watch it. And maybe it's just my stubbornness, but I, I'm still not a convert. And and again, and maybe it would have helped if I had been watching along and got more attached to the characters. But for me, honestly, the main problem with the Mindy Project is that it's just not that funny. And I don't know if it's just a matter of the chemistry between the actors or the writing. Uh, there, you know, Some of the supporting characters still don't really seem that fleshed out, which they've had a whole season to do and haven't really done. That seems like a problem. Maybe that's a, a product of the constant reshuffling of the supporting cast, which hopefully won't be an issue next season. But the, uh, I don't know. It to, to me, like, the show is so clearly at this point just content to do the romantic comedy thing with very slight tweaks or very slight subversions. Uh, otherwise, it plays it pretty straight. And I think if you're going to do that, if you're going to not subvert things, you need to be really, really funny. And for me, it's just not hitting me that way. See, I think it is really funny. And uh, maybe the difference is I love romantic comedies. Do you Are you a fan of the genre? I mean, I, I've gotten fully into sitcoms that feature, like, you know, in terms of film romantic comedies, not yeah. many. No, I'll, I'll, I'll allow that. But I, I, I have, I'll give more leeway in a TV format because I, I do think there are interesting ways to handle that in a sitcom. And I just I don't I don't I just don't feel like when it when we get to the end and we and we have a scene of them reconciling at a at a window in New York it's like oh I've seen this scene so many yeah, times you've seen this scene but you haven't seen the scene with it being the girl yelling up to the guy and the girl looks frankly kind of like crap in 
in old grody sort of uh, sweats and uh, yeah, but like, like like I said, like it's a tiny subversion, but it's not enough. I disagree. I don't think it's tiny. I like what the show has been doing with with the genre, and and I like that. Um, I, I I don't know. And we've seen over the course of the season different scenes like that, like the the scene of of Mindy and Casey. Uh, having trying to 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 have a, a romantic moment in in the shower, take a shower together, and it's just hilariously hilarious and awkward because there isn't really a way for that to work, at least in their shower because they don't have an enormous one. And so, uh, I, you know, things like that. Just I really enjoy it, I, and maybe it just goes back to my affinity for the genre as a whole. So I, I like that they are both true to the tropes uh, of of what you know, romantic comedies tend to be and those those beats there feel like they're very true to them, while at the same time being aware of some of the realities that go along with it. So I think they're doing a really good job of, of balancing that. Whereas for you, it's not funny enough or it's not subversive enough. I think it's both. Yeah. And I and I find it funny how New New Girl makes you yell at your television, but then when they have a scene of Mindy and Danny almost kissing, but then not for no good reason really. And then having that delayed until next season again, like that doesn't bother you no. really? Okay. Because it fits the characters. Okay. I'm and just... because and because I I don't know, I I think the chemistry with with those two actors is fantastic. I think they've done a really good job of establishing like with Nick and Jess, there never felt like a legitimate reason that they weren't getting together. There was somewhat of a of a strain there with the fact that she's so positive and he's so negative, but for the most part, there was didn't really feel like a reason for them to not have gotten together sooner. Just, uh, Nick clearly has had you know feelings for her for a very long time, almost immediately as soon as the show started. With with Mindy and and Danny, yes, there's clearly especially from Danny there's there's emotion there, there's there's attraction there, but they also they're fully formed adults. They they work together. They have ideological and philosophical differences. He has loads of baggage about his ex-wife. So there are legitimate, very good reasons for them to not be together, for them to not necessarily work as a couple that I don't see in the same way with Nick and Jess. So so for me, they, they feel like individuals. They feel like people. They don't feel like um, an eventual pairing. They are they are the forever couple of the show, but they 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 also work for me as not together much more than than maybe Nick and Jess. I I can see where you're coming from. At the same time, they make Casey such a dweeb that you'd know that that's not gonna last. So, but I love that he's a good guy, and I love that the I love that com- that that proposal scene where she breaks up with him or th- where she says where he says, what about who you have been choosing to date makes you think that you don't deserve happiness or that you don't deserve a good guy? Because that's what she, because that's, I like the, the, the way that the finale culminates with her saying, I've been wanting to have a, a serious relationship for the entire first season of the show and much, you know, much earlier than that. But, I, but she keeps choosing jerks to go out with and who who uh, don't treat her well. And so, yes, he's a dork, but he respects her and he cares about her and he may screw things up some, from time to time or misread what she's doing, but but he's a real person. And and I really enjoyed 
that look at, as opposed to all romantic comedies that seem to have the good guy that the, the, the love interest doesn't go for, and then the bad guy who's hotter, and so she's chasing after that one instead. That's just, that's as, pretty much as old as, as film, is that, that trope. I like that this actually says, okay, what is it about you that makes you keep making these destructive decisions? We don't see that conversation on other romantic comedies or other, other sitcoms. I'll have to I'll have to agree to disagree on that one. Okay. But, uh, anyway, I also I also that way too much nerdy detail to get into right now. But the the um, the soundtrack choices really bug me. But I'll, <laughs> I'll leave that there. Well, what wins your week in, in comedy this, this week? Because I mean, I would say it doesn't sound like it's any of these. Uh, no, I would probably give it to uh, I. I really I really I, I mean I always enjoy Veep. I, I particularly I particularly liked uh, Catherine's look of sustained horror during the credits. That was probably the hardest I laughed at anything this week. Uh, but overall, I'd probably give it to Amy Schumer again this week, uh, even though I didn't think it was as strong as last week. And that uh, silent film sketch was a big dead zone right in the middle. <laughs> I'll give it to Mindy Project this week, though I did enjoy several of the, the different finales and Veep and all of those shows, but this week I'm giving it to Mindy, and uh, let us know where you fall between Simon and I with, with Mindy Project, if you've even watched this. Nobody's watching, and I don't really understand why they're watching New Girl, but not Mindy. Um, so let, let, us, let us know. But let's take a break and come back with our weekend genre. I'm about to close the gates of hell forever. Carry on my There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary to rest. Don't you cry no more. You in purgatory? Felt pure. I don't hunt anymore. I found something. Did you look for me? Kevin Tran. Thought you could elude me forever. God built a series of tests. When you've done all three, slot the gates of hell. Where do we start? Kill or hound of hell. An innocent soul has to be rescued from hell and delivered unto heaven. And the final test? To cure a demon. <laughs> Abaddon, the knight of hell. She's ghost. My name is Naomi. We rescued her. The angel tablet. I won't hurt Dean. Kill him. <laughs> This week in genre, we have Game of Thrones, Second Sons. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Grimm. Then we have the Supernatural finale, Sacrifice, the Vampire Diaries finale, Graduation, the Doctor Who finale, The Name of the Doctor, and Orphan Black, Entangled Bank. So let's start out with Game of Thrones. What did you think of Second Sons? It was all right. It was very much in keeping with the pace of last week. I thought it was a little better than last week. I think mostly because it was so reliant on Dinklage, who can carry an episode pretty easily uh i'm really it but once again this show is, is I, I feel like this season more than any other season this show is really not catering to people who haven't read the books because there's just they keep teasing stuff that, and then waiting and teasing and waiting and uh and i didn't talk about this in my review which is up on on, on the site but there's just so many characters that they've introduced and not really serviced all that much i mean for instance why did we meet Mance Raider again and make such a big deal about that when we haven't seen him in like five or six episodes? Uh, and I don't know. There are things that I wonder if they couldn't have structured those a little bit better. But whoop, I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens next week. It's a very frustrating show to review week to week when you haven't read the books, basically, is what I'm saying. Well, I thought it was interesting that they, instead of jumping it around and seeing all the characters, we just see three groups, basically, right, of characters. Did yeah. that change work for you? 
I think it's a better approach uh, than just sort of the survey approach in general. Um, and I was really glad we didn't get any Theon being tortured again because we've gotten that, I think, in literally six episodes or five episodes and it's gotten really tiresome. That needs to be over. And uh, the I guess my other complaint is that I really feel like they haven't given uh, Daenerys anything particularly challenging to do this season, like yeah. especially compared to what has gone on with everyone else. Stuff just kind of keeps falling in her lap, sometimes literally. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they, she, need, she needs like an actual challenge. It, 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 it seems as though the show thinks it's her manifest destiny to, to, to win because she's just got it so much easier than everyone else. <laughs> Well, uh, we'll see what comes with the rest of the season. Only two more episodes. No episode next I, week. But I, I love how much you have to bite your tongue. Yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what uh, comes in the next couple episodes. We <laughs> next have uh, Grimm, The Waking Dead, and the, the finale will be airing tonight as we record. I just wanted to mention, because I did get to see the finale early. Uh, thank you, NBC, for the screeners. And uh, I think it's a very solid finale. Once again, I think they do a really good job of setting up and um, establishing a, a really interesting cliffhanger for next season. <laughs> There's uh, if, the last second, the last image on the screen for this finale is hilarious and amazing. It's so wonderfully self-aware. And please always do something like that, grim people. And you'll understand what I'm talking about once you've watched the finale. But I think they've done such a wonderful job with especially Juliet. I like what we got from her this week. I like what we get from her next week. And um, really just that core of characters that they've established, I think, are really good and work together very well. I don't think it's great television. I don't think it's among even the higher middle. But it's it's just so solid week in and week out. And they, I love that they spend the time on the characters. It, it reminds me actually sort of a fringe in that way. I mean, I think fringe is, is a much uh, more interesting show, but they've really established their world. They, they spend time to just show Nick and Juliet talking and to show Juliet apologizing. And Nick says, you don't need to apologize. And she says, yes, I do. And that kind of a character beat most genre shows of this ilk would not give the time to, they would they would just kind of blow past it, and Nick and Juliet would be together, and everything would be wonderful, and they they wouldn't spend the time on the character to really make her true to what we've seen for the past two seasons. So I, I very much enjoy um, what they've been doing with Grimm, and I think you guys will enjoy the finale. So have fun with that. Um, next up is the Supernatural finale, Sacrifice, which I thought was mostly a really good finale until it didn't finale as it were we have a great setup for next season i think about like two-thirds of the episode is a wonderful finale and another third the other third is a really good penultimate episode and so i'm very frustrated that they did not resolve their season-long arc they spent an entire season of build up building up and telling us that what they were doing was important and this is what we're going to do and then they get to the finale and they say nope that's it. Just, uh, we're going to just pause. And so, you know, I, I'm all for leaving cliffhangers. I'm all for not resolving everything, tying it up in a neat knot. I think it's really, really interesting. And this is a spoiler. I'm going to put the chapters in, so it should be fine anyways. But I think it's really interesting that this time the, the Winchesters choose themselves over saving the world. They've never done that before. 
And so I think that is really interesting. I thought the performances from from Jared uh, Padalecki and Jensen Ackles were really good. The Sam's so is fantastic, and that whole sequence I think works so well. But you have no resolution to Sam's weakened state. You have no resolution to Crowley. Mark Shepard was a lot of fun. Him calling Moose his Marnie was just fabulous. Uh, and that's a girl's reference, uh, specifically, Simon, since I know you have the glazed look at the moment. Oh, yes. But, uh, but you know, there was a lot of really great stuff. I've really enjoyed Curtis Armstrong as Metatron. That's been, that's been really interesting. But I, I just, it's not, you spend a season telling us something is important and then you don't deliver. That can't help but be frustrating to me. And we'll talk about that a little bit with Doctor Who uh, a little bit later here in the genre section. Of course, one of my favorite things about Supernatural finales remains the montage, Carry On My Wayward Son. It's such a perfect song for these characters. I talk about it every year. It feels, it's strange to, to realize that it's been a full year since uh, since we I was last talking about the awesomeness of this montage. And uh, it doesn't feel like that long. And, and more shows should establish similar traditions to the, to this one because I think it's really great. Unfortunately, they found a way to kind of uh, screw it up this year by including several different comedic shots in their montage. And that's not what the purpose of the montage is. The montage is not a, here are some of the things that happened this season or here are some of the best moments. The montage is, it's time to get you freaking psyched for this finale, for the, the stakes and the emotional weight of what this finale is going to bring. This has been an intense, amazing season, even if it hasn't been. And you're going to you're gonna really love this finale. And so when they show shots from the cartoon episode or when they show shots from the um, Felicia Day LARPing episode, it takes me immediately out of the seriousness and the stakes of the situation. And all of a sudden, it's just a montage as opposed to being an intense, you know, 20 hours of television just down into two minutes being uh, concentrated down. So I was actually disappointed by the montage this year. And oh, no. uh, I know it is actually somewhat distressing for a TV fan like myself. Um, of course, I immediately went, went back and watched all previous seven montages on YouTube and uh, fortunately, my lack of affinity for this season's montage did not uh, mar those other montages for me. And they're all still amazing. So so even the seasons that are not, frankly, just not good, that have really good montages. So uh, hopefully that will just, this will just be a fluke. And they won't be putting comedy into my dramatic montages in the future. But um, let, let me know what you think of, of that. Maybe I'm the only one who was, you know, disturbed who've sensed a disturbance of the supernatural force based on the the, the clip selection this year but uh let's move on to the vampire diaries finale which was graduation and okay i'm gonna just kick things off by saying this was a, a finale that did some things right and did other things wrong and i really am not interested in tuning in next season i i don't care about the doppelganger twist with Stefan. It seems stupid, doesn't make sense, and is completely not necessary. When If Silas can look like anyone at any time, why does he need to be a, a doppelganger? Why does Stefan need to be a doppelganger of him? He can just throw Stefan in that safe and drown him in another blatant ripoff of Angel. I'm not even saying homage at this point, because there have been too many of them. In another ripoff of Angel... 
uh, and just decide he wants to look like Stefan and screw with Stefan's life or just, you know, reacclimate himself to the world in this way. It doesn't need to be this random new change to the mythology, this retcon. It's frustrating and annoying so, and serves so no purpose. Just, just to be clear, like, cause I stopped watching weeks ago. They, they established this week that Silas's true form is basically Stefan. Yeah. That Stefan is, is uh. a doppelganger that was created to make, to, to be the loophole for the fact that Silas can't be killed. Yeah. Uh. So now they got rid of one unkillable, Big Bad Klaus by introduced and then they introduced another one in the same week. So oh, good. Yeah. They they clearly have no interest in 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 some of these more important struggles that they've been having this this season. When you have a Big Bad who can't be killed, there are very little if any stakes to your story because you know they can't die. Can I just mention that Klaus getting his own show is somewhat angel-like in and of itself? Yeah, it is. But it's also it's understandable. They're trying to to you know have as much success as they can, and the actor's good. It's just too bad that the character is completely uninteresting, in my opinion. the 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 fact that they kept Bonnie dead was a, a very biggest surprise to me. And they made Catherine. They gave Catherine the cure because that's that you know they shoved it in her mouth because that makes sense. Now Catherine's human, and seeing as Klaus. She had to to spend all of her energy running from Klaus when she was a vampire. I don't understand how, she, as a human, she's not going to immediately be caught and drained of her blood so that he can make his hybrids. Wait, wait a second. I thought that the cure was gonna was also going to restore all the other undead things. There's so no, no, no. So they they lifted the veil between the worlds. Okay. So now every supernatural being that has that is dead can come to Mystic Falls or who died in Mystic Falls, or whatever, can cross back over. And of course, none of them do besides like the five that we care most about. So all the other characters who died, like Matt's sister, Vicky, doesn't stop by to visit him because. And uh, Elena's aunt, um, Jenna, who died after having been turned into a vampire, she doesn't come to visit. Because. And Caroline's dad doesn't come to visit. And all the other people that they've killed don't come to visit because it really there's I shouldn't have to say because this many times I should have to say because ever but certainly not this many times there's significant flaws in this um, it's wonderful to see Alaric again it's wonderful to see Lexi again but giving Catherine the cure seems like a clever twist but really it's just a waste of an opportunity to change the show in a meaningful way but wait a second, how can they have Alaric back because of cult? Oh, never mind. Teehee. Um, but the the one thing I did want to talk most, make sure to mention, because I was talking about it with Ken, is graduation. Okay, so the sheriff of the town and the mayor of the town are fully in the loop on the, well, the supernatural goings-on. We can assume that many of the other prominent figures in town are as well, but we don't know that. We know that the mayor and the sheriff are. So please tell me why they don't postpone graduation a day in order to not have have a giant group of people gathering in the middle of town, in the middle of this small area where the supernatural beings can, can recur, can, can pop up. They postpone for rain. They postpone 
for if it's too, for over you know if, if it's too hot if there's danger of people getting heat stroke but they don't in this show they they don't postpone graduation literally one day sorry let's let's triggerize this literally one day after which the the full moon will be will be done the walls will be between the two sides will be back up and none of their civilians will be in danger no well, they don't to be fair, if they were behaving realistically, Mystic Falls would be in constant lockdown and state of emergency every single day. So nobody should care this much about graduation. Also that. Nobody should I mean gradu the fact of graduating from high school is a significant thing for many people. Yes, having graduated is is important to it may make sense for it to be important to this group of people it doesn't make sense for caroline to be all oh my god guys we made it we're all here except my one true love tyler but i'm not going to mention that because that might hamper this moment um they they shouldn't care about the ceremony itself especially when the world is ending around them and if you bring up buffy as a comparison on buffy and i would love to hear your thoughts on this because you've seen this episode they didn't care about the ceremony, and there was a reason that the world was ending at graduation, because the mayor was thought, hey, let's end the world at graduation. I'm, I can control that, and that would be cool. Yeah, no, the Buffy graduation episode is like one of the four or five best of the whole show. Yeah, and they're sitting there in the ceremony going, are you freaking kidding me? We're going to have to go through this whole ceremony? Why won't he just end the world already so we can get to it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I, as soon as I saw that this finale was called Graduation, I knew I wasn't going to be checking back in for the end of this because the high school, I mean, the only positive of, the, of this whole thing is that after this season, they'll never have to bother with the high school setting ever again. Thank goodness. One of the best things that the show did in its first season was to realize that the high school setting was a problem and to step away from that pretty quickly it only took about a handful of episodes before they realized you know having shots of them at cheerleading practice and football practice really takes us out of the world and is not good so i don't understand why this season they felt the need to go back so heavily to the high school that's true next season they're all graduated so we can't have more high school setting but still i'm just i'm i'm out we'll see if if something can happen over the the summer to get me interested again but but right now i'm i'm done yeah yeah that sounds about right um, let's move on to the Doctor Who finale, the name of the Doctor. Of course, as I said earlier, I was able to talk about uh, this with the the lovely folks over at the Sound On Sight Doctor Who podcast. That should be up tomorrow, approximately. Um, but uh, what did you think? You know, the, funny, the fun part of not being a Doctor Who fan while watching Doctor Who is that I don't need to care about the things that don't make any sense, especially mm -hmm. in series continuity, because I haven't seen the series. I don't understand series continuity in this instance. So if there's like a massive character betrayal or a mythology or, a, uh, you know, a significant break with mythology, I don't have to care. Uh, so in that sense, I actually thought it was a better episode than basically all the others in the back half of the season, if only because I didn't know where it was going while I was watching it. There was actually a sense of mystery and uh, discovery and, you know, sort of ideas I don't see represented on TV a whole lot, as opposed to. What you know, for most of the season, they've been going sort of with genre play, which I found mostly pretty tiresome. And this was actually very much its own thing. So in that sense, I actually thought it was kind of fun and, and, and exciting to watch in some instances, although some of the fake out non deaths were just complete bullshit. But 
Yeah, I thought Jenny's death, and this is something I didn't get a chance to talk about um, with the rest of the Saturday Night Night Doctor Who crew. I thought Jenny's death was fantastic, the way that they played it early in the episode, and then they undo it with another magic like, button. Why, why would you get so upset about it if you know that Strax is going to be able to use his magical revivey thing? Yeah, well, I I think they didn't. The characters didn't know, but but there there have been only two companions in the fifty year run of Doctor Who who have died. If you want to call, if you want to say Jenny's not technically a companion because she doesn't travel around with the Doctor and the TARDIS, then that you know then that that's fine. We can have that conversation. But that was a ballsy emotional uh, move, and then it gets undone. And I was so I th- I thought it was so great, and I was so disappointed when they undid it. As much as I do enjoy that character. Yeah, that was that was not good. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I get I mean, I read your review and I get why I can conceptualize why people are upset. But I don't know. The the, the John Hurt thing was kind of cool. I like John Hurt. I assume he's only going to be in like the special that they're doing because mm-hmm. I assume he has better things to do with most of his time. No offense, Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, when I say better, I mean things that pay you more money. Um, but uh, I don't know, I thought it was fine. Yeah, I mean, I think most of fandom seems to have really liked this episode. I'm definitely in the minority from what I can tell. I liked this episode. Um, I thought there was some really good stuff in it. But like you said, uh, my review's up at Sound on Site. And certain things just were really frustrating to me, such as River being inside a computer and then inside... Clara's mind and then all of a sudden corporeal that's just stupid yeah I I couldn't really make heads or tails of that myself but again I didn't have to worry about it that's another cuz moment because and uh I'm not a fan of of those at all I mean and that's and 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 like I, I should just stop talking because I talk about all of this on the other podcast but that that scene with with Alex Kington and Matt Smith was fabulous. It just the two seconds before it, where all of a sudden now she is corporeal, don't make any freaking sense. And so, so that you know, it, it's it's a nugget of really fantastic character work and performance surrounded by bullshit <laughs> around it. And so I, that really hampered my enjoyment. Now uh, you've seen all of this season, I would I think, right? Did you? Do, were you watching back with Amy and Rory in the yes. fall? Thoughts on the season as a whole? Oh, I mean, it was a total mess. I mean, that was obvious to even someone, even the layman. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't, I'm sort of surprised that, that people are not clamoring for Moffat to step down more, actually, because it seems like it's been, I think everyone has agreed it's been a hugely inconsistent season with that for which the direction has been kind of scattershot. But I mean, I don't know. It's, I'm able to enjoy aspects of it, even though I'm still hugely skeptical of the enterprise as a whole. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. And, uh, Clara versus Amy and Rory thoughts. Uh, they, in both cases, they felt more like maybe because I, 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 there was a huge bit of Amy and Rory. I didn't see, but it seemed a lot more comfortable with those characters as plot devices than people, especially with Clara for sure. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. So are you going to watch the anniversary special then? That seems like an excellent episode to miss the point of. So yeah, why not? <laughs> Fair enough. Let's move on to our final show this week in, in genre, Orphan Black, Entangled Bank. Uh, what do you think? I'm still really digging the fact that 
that like mo- the more I watch the show, the more I realize it's shot almost entirely in East Toronto, where I like specifically my part of town. So you know, at the end of the episode, when that thing happens, I was actually a little bit distracted by the fact that oh, that's where I pick up my morning coffee on the way to work. Uh, I was thinking more about that than than the thing that was happening, which is probably a discredit to the show. Uh, I thought it was a solid episode. I like that. Um, as with last week, we're really very close to everyone just knowing. I, I liked everything with Mrs. S. I think that actress is doing a fabulous job. And so I'm sorry, I don't have her name handy. But, um, you know, I can't say I'm going to miss Olivier that much, even though he really reminded me of Eddie Izzard a lot. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still, it's clearly the most consistent genre show we've gotten so far this year. And I'm very happy that it's Canadian, which is very, very strange. <laughs> Yeah, I liked this episode too. I really liked with what we got with um Helena and and Kira at the end. I think they've they've done I think what they did this week with Helena is more interesting than than before what we had with her before. So I hope they continue to grow that character. It's nice to have Allison back and um just sort of blowing up her life. The way she Allison talks. fucking rules. Allison is say? awesome. She's like one of the best characters on TV right now. She's just so fun to watch. And Maslani is killing this so hard. Like, yeah, we, we, we've been praising her before, but I think this was her most impressive episode yet. Just for sheer breadth of of like there's absolutely no problem separating out these characters, especially because the effects are crazy good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's simple effects, but they're doing it well. I don't quite know exactly how they're. I don't get it either. You know? It's like it's one of those bits of like movie TV magic that I still get to enjoy just as magic and I kind of never want to understand. How yeah, I don't works. really want to know. Yeah, definitely. I also will not miss Olivier. Um I'm not really caring about Leaky. Um uh, I care more about Delphine than than Leaky, but they they need to do some work on that character for me to vet, to invest in him. Um I'm liking watching Art just like his brain start exploding with all this crazy. Yeah. <laughs> It's fu- it's fun to be on the other side of that. To get back to Delphine, I don't think I would care about Delphine if it weren't for that little touch of her not letting them know about Kira. I thought that was a really yes. smart beat. And that gives that character a lot of nuance. And uh, I think she's a goner. Don't get me wrong. Like, she's going to die at some point. But mm-hmm. uh, other than that, I, I I think that that was just it's a, it's a show that's making a lot of little smart decisions. Now, do I think Kira is in any kind of danger? No, this show's not going to kill that adorable little child. She's it's not so going to happen. cute. She's very cute, and she's also she's extremely very important. important. Yes. So if she's she was cute I and important. useless, then I could see yeah. her them getting rid of her. But that's it's just never going to happen. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, what did uh, or sounds like for you? Over Black wins the week again. Uh, yes, I'm. Again, I'm. I can't. I'm very. I mean, I, admittedly, it's a British co-production, but seriously, I'm still. I'm shocked that this is Canadian. Okay, and I, I I'll give it to. Though I was frustrated, um, upon rewatch, I think I'll give it to the Supernatural finale, since I I watched that one again. Uh, early after the first viewing, I was very frustrated by the last like two minutes, the way that they chose to end the the Sam and Dean and Crowley segment of the episode uh but what but upon rewatch there there is most of that finale is really solid with just a question mark for me at the end so i will give it to supernatural this week and um i'm so glad that show has rebounded after the frankly 
terrible uh, on the whole sixth and and un- an underwhelming seventh season. So we'll see what happens next year. They really set it up for a lot of uh, potential. But now let's take a break and come back and talk reality. Tyrone Cobham, who who is one of the dancers on So You Think You Can Dance This Week. I continue to, on the whole, be impressed with the, the contestants that we have in the top 10 for The Voice. I was very frustrated by the horribly out of tune, uh, both Danielle and Chris this week, and the fact that nobody felt the need to mention that to them at all. You can say, it sounds great, a little bit more breath control on the long notes. They're getting a little flat, but you can fix that. You're a great singer. There's a way to tell them that they need to sing in tune that is very um, positive, but they're just not doing that. And or I, you could just say, sing in tune, please. Yeah, well, you could say that, but it seems like they're not gonna, willing to do that. I don't know. So for that reason, even though he has a very, he's very talented and has a really interesting voice, it's time for Chris to go. I still maintain. And uh, Holly sounds great, but she keeps doing the same ballad, so... I would send Holly home, I guess, because I don't... Yes, she can stand front stage, center, and belt, but she's done that for three weeks. I don't need to hear another emotional ballad from her. So uh, that's those are my thoughts on, on The Voice, as it were. Um, that's, so let's move directly on to So You Think You Can Dance, which had two hour-long episodes this week with auditions, and I loved them. There was some amazing dancing, and so I kind of kept poking you until you watched some of it. What did you think? I caught the dancing in the second of the two episodes. I wasn't aware that Twitch had been made a judge, which is great. I think he's, he's a really fun addition. They kind of overdid the whole let's uh, let's make Mary Murphy uncomfortable un- uncomfortably uh you know but let's let's just like play up her her arousal and mm-hmm. stuff like that like okay it's kind of funny for a second but we don't need to spend half an episode on it mm-hmm. um but in general i i think what's nice about um their audition rounds is they're so just infectious and fun and just a, a celebration of even when they're they're showcasing dancers who are clearly not going to make it like it's just Let's have a breather to just you know let these people do their thing, and I, I liked the I liked the um, the effort to showcase local styles, and even though you know that mostly segued into the Mary thing, which I did find tiresome, but uh, and yeah, Prince Charming is awesome. We need to see more of that guy. <laughs> yeah, you should, if you have time, check out the the very first audition from the first uh, one that this past week because it's just amazing you're like it doesn't it looks like that is it's easier for me to believe that that has been cgi'd 
than that is actually happening. And I know that it is. And that's what makes it so fun. I definitely agree. This is just an infectiously positive audition round. That's what the So You Think You Can Dance always does. They don't show us people failing. They just, it's not worth our time. They don't spend the time. There's too many really good dancers to waste our time on people that don't do well. And yeah. so, so even when they show people who are not going to, to move on, they always, it's, they always make it a positive thing. They don't put anybody on our screens to make fun of them. I, I enjoyed that. They, um, that even in, when they are negative in this episode, the one that you watched, it is because the guy, though he's a really talented, uh, freestyler and dancer he he abandons his partner and they're like you know you're gonna that's how that's how people get injured you're leave yeah come back next year but no you can't do that on the show yeah and i I did find it like i i feel like they need to get that balance right of being freewheeling and being stern a little better because i do find in the auditions they're so giddy and then they get there and they're like and they're just like rigid taskmasters. And I, I feel like they should maybe balance that a little better because it is a little schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed it. Also, random note, but somebody danced to Celine Dion in French, which gave me very uncomfortable uh, uncomfortable flashbacks to being a kid and hearing that on the radio. So. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah, so I look forward to watching more So You Think You Can Dance. They, they have different guests, judges they bring on. It's always Mary and Nigel and then a third. You saw Twitch. They also had um, the actor who plays Mitch on um on modern family jesse what's his name jesse tyler ferguson yes and he's always a lot of fun i i hope that we see christina applegate this this season she's always a fantastic uh, guest judge next week we're gonna see mini driver so it should be fun to see some of the different uh personalities come out but i love having say you think you can dance back on my on my television and uh i look forward to to more to come this 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 season, if this is if this is an indicator of the kind of talent they're going to have, there's a lot of variety. I mean, how about that tapper? Yeah, that was some good stuff. Yeah, and I he, mean, it, it wasn't quite Ken Cosgrove, but see, I, we're, we'll talk about that later. I was going to say any other week, Ken Kenny Cosgrove would have had it taken as the best tap dance on television, but this week, That's no. True. That will wrap up our weekend reality. Oh, before we stop, are you gonna? Is this going to be enough to, to get you to tune in to so you think you can dance more regularly? Uh, yeah, potentially. I don't. I, uh, I. I think I'll probably do what I generally do with shows of this nature, which is I'm gonna just watch the performances. Yeah, me and too. Skip over. Skip over the sob stories. Skip over most of the other stuff that isn't people dancing and being awesome. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, let's take a break and come back with our week in drama. You remember when I said Tobias was saying very dark things? I made note of it. Well, he said that he wanted to cut someone's throat and play it like a violin. They found somebody whose throat was cut and played like a violin. So you think Tobias killed that man at the symphony? I don't know. If I do, do I have to report it? Do we have a reason not to? What if I'm wrong? What if you're right? I'm always wrong. I don't know. Why would he say something like that to me? What do you think? Because he knows I tell you. This week we have uh, the, the finale to Scandal, White Hat's back on, Hannibal, Fromage, and the Rectify finale, Jacob's Ladder. Uh, just a few thoughts on Scandal, seeing as I did watch that um, as after it won the Make Kate Watch stuff poll. 
the this week I thought that um, there's some strengths to the episode, but they backed off of the forward progress with Olivia and Fitz. And while I think that Olivia is much better off without Fitz, I really am not interested in any further will they won't they drama. So this the fact that she's now backed away from him. If that mean if that's it, if she's done, if they're done with the will they won't they there, then I'm happy. That's great. Bring you know bring back Scott Foley. He was a much more interesting love interest for her, and he's so much better on this than than Goodwin Games. But if they're going to just continue to draw that out, I don't care. I, I don't care about that central relationship. Having the one um, gladiator, as it were, I, I still I have trouble with the, them calling themselves gladiators specifically because of Spartacus. Because I want to be like, nah, that's a gladiator. You put you put that in a suit and, and that's a gladiator in a suit. You're not a gladiator in a suit. I can't like. I, I can't really believe them when they say that because of Spartacus. Anyways, um, but uh, the having the one uh, of the gladiators uh, just start torturing the guy and get a rush, and I'm not really interested in that. I wish they hadn't gone that that route. It gives the the actress something to do. It gives the character something to do. But I feel like we've already seen that um, with 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 Huck, so I don't really care about seeing that storyline repeated for her. I don't know. The stuff with Cyrus and the heart attack was entertaining, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I'm still on the fence. I guess yeah, I, I heard a lot of people thought thought this finale was fantastic. Um, I thought it was just kind of more of the same, which is solid, but not uh, not a wow factor. And I certainly am certainly do not like the, the final moments where we find out that this guy who's been manipulating everything behind the scenes is Olivia's father. Joe Morton is great. I really liked him uh, on some, even something like Eureka. He's been a fantastic actor. Just he's been a, a consistent working actor for for decades now. But making him making this all come back to Olivia and and giving her daddy issues like that, which is something that I know Mario had mentioned as well, is really disappointing. I should like I would like to think that she's more complicated than just she has a a tricky relationship with her dad. Um, so that I'm not loving that part of the episode, but the rest of it I thought was, like I said, solid, but not life changing, I guess for me. Let's move on to Hannibal Fromage. And, um, this one was a little hard, a little tough for me to watch a little <laughs> more than the other ones. Um, and I would assume it's just because I'm closer to, to that world. But the, um, I spent, I spent much of this episode watching it going, you couldn't play someone's vocal cords. Your bow would just get sticky and messed up. And then like 20 minutes later, they say they treated the vocal cords so that they were stiff. I was like, oh, okay, well then, then I guess you, <laughs> you know could. what confused me is there was at least two instances of somebody saying he played the guy like a violin. Well, strictly speaking, didn't he play him like a cello because he impaled him with a cello? More, more like a cello uh, than, than a violin. But really, the if you were going to play him like a cello or a bass... The vocal, the opening would have had to have been in his guts because the bow goes a lot lower. So he he played them like if you put the bow right by your fingers on the fingerboard, but of <laughs> of of a cello. No, it was it was creepy as it was creepy as fuck. Basically, I thought, 
And um, it was a very well done, interesting episode. I really liked what we got with Dan Fogler and that character. That performance I thought was really good. It's nice to see him do some more dramatic work. He was really good here. I loved what we got with, uh, again, with Gillian Anderson, really liking her addition to the cast. And even with Will and Alana, nice to see Kellen Davernas get uh, more to do this week. Um, so, yeah, I really liked this episode even as much as I had a lot of trouble with just the just watching gruesomeness it. <laughs> of it just watching it yeah yeah it was it was a fun episode uh didn't really contribute a whole lot to most of the characters it was more of a showcase of just utter grossness <laughs> to be honest which uh, hey if, if they want to get this creative with it i'm not gonna begrudge it and um clearly they're just the, brian fuller's operating on a whole other level when it mm-hmm. comes to creative gore on TV, which is, which sounds like an odd compliment, but it's true. Um, I also, th- this is another one of those instances of, of things awkwardly being shot in Toronto and Montreal, because I, I heard from Ricky that he ran into, into Tobias at a party and was very <laughs> creeped out. So <laughs> it's, it's just, it's weird that the Canuckization of good TV lately, it's, it's very strange. <laughs> um, I know you've uh, had issues with, with the violence or just not needing this in in your life is I assume it's still the same for you. Uh, it's not so much an issue with the violence. It's more an issue with, um, the pointlessness, <laughs> like, or, mm-hmm. or rather like, I'm not really sure where I'm not really sure what it's accomplishing other than just being immensely unpleasant. I mean, it, I, I kind of get it weeks like this where it's so creative that it just, it's, it's just it's the value of the imagery itself and just like where else are you going to get stuff this creative where it's not just like, you know, let's string a bunch of people up or let's or let's do a let's, let's pull CSI string. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, God, I'm just going to hang myself now. Um, but, uh, it you know, it's it's got its own sort of poetic aspect to it like that I get and poetic, not in a in a phony the following sense Mm -hmm. Uh, i meant that in every sense that that came out but uh yeah i I don't know like it's it's never going to be top tier tv for me i think unless it really keeps up a a solid character focus which for me it didn't really do so much this week okay uh well we'll see where it's going but if it i I would prefer to see it go on and, and see brian fuller get more chances to play around with this kind of stuff but I'm not really sure if that's all that likely to happen. Yeah, there's some talk of it moving to cable. Um, I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens with that. I'm very interested in, in the, the future of the show. And I, of course, I really like it. I'd love to get more and more uh, of this. If we can get a second season somehow, that would be astonishing. And I would be very happy as a television viewer. Uh, what did you think of the fight? I know some people have uh, thought the fight was too outlandish, especially when he, the guy starts, Tobias starts uh, whipping around strings um, as sort of like garrots. And then also any thoughts on the Will and Alana relationship? Uh, I mean, I'm happy with anything that gives Caroline Devernat more to do. The, I don't know, the fight was kind of ridiculous, but I'm, I'm not really a, the show is inherently ridiculous. Let's be honest. I mean, there has been what, eight serial killers who all you know who are all incredibly outlandish so far it's i for people to start complaining now about you know leaps and leaps in faith and suspension of disbelief is a little bit silly i think okay fair enough let's move on to our next episode our, our final drama for this week which is the finale to rectify jacob's ladder we still didn't really find out precisely what happened uh, after the last scene of of the previous episode, <laughs> didn't find out what happened at all. But uh, if 
at the the very least that happened was some rather creative humiliation of of uh Teddy who is just such a dick that I didn't really care about that. Um what did you think of of that the way that was resolved but then the uh the episode as a whole? Are are you not starting to like Teddy a bit though? Cuz I kind of am. I mean, he's he, still a dick clearly, but he, he the last thing we saw from him at the end of last week was him mocking somebody for being gang raped yeah i mean that wasn't good it wasn't a good moment no but i i can't like somebody who's like oh you got gang raped i hope you just enjoyed it you'd never you could you would never think that that is a likable thing to say if he was saying it to a woman to be clear i don't think he's likable but i do but i i don't know he's just such a fuck up you know that i that i kind of can't help but like him on a certain level and the way he like if and if it takes like getting chokeholded and having very strange things done to your rear end, although not necessarily the things you might expect. That came out weird. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's going to take that to give him, like, a measure of humility, which he finally seems to have this week, kind of, then, uh, And, like, there, there's just so many wonderful contradictions on the show that I don't know if we're ever going to get straightened out. Like, for, for that matter, like, I could, I could see the show going on for five or six seasons and still not knowing for sure yeah. what happened. In the and I think that would be a perfectly reasonable way for them to go, and, and and so and so wonderfully counterintuitive compared to how other shows that are kind of of this ilk go, and it would be fine. And I I think that the show is still having a great time toying with with us uh, on that score. And like, and because we've only seen six episodes, I don't know. Like, are they going to feel the need to ever straighten certain things out? Like, are we ever going to find out what that W. Roll Brown thing was about? I'm starting to think no. No. Are we ever going to find out what the potted plant thing was about? I'm starting to think no. Um, you know, and like, and it's fine. And I am, I'm so glad the show has been renewed because I, I'm with, with, you know, it's, you would think that with this sort of premise, it would be limited, but there's no real sense of that either, especially with, how languorous and like wonderfully slow the pacing is like i mean um ray mckinnon could draw this out for hundreds of episodes if he felt like it if he's going to keep it up and and have the writing and acting be this good yeah i definitely agree and um i love that we don't get any answers in in this finale it doesn't really feel like a a finale until that final sequence uh where where he does get just beaten up brutally can i just mention those kicks to the face i don't really get how they do that because it really looked like he was getting kicked to the face <laughs> yeah uh, i guess creative angling of good the camera sound. i mean it's, it's good, it's, it's sound, good yeah. sound design and good choreography but still that really looked like it hurt yeah we we have a slight forward movement of the the mystery of it all when when we have the which, uh, he's a sheriff right who hides the body of the the man who shot himself earlier in the season? Uh yes, I believe so. But then of course we get that scene of of um of Daniel visiting that the the man who owns the bookstore and we have no fucking idea what that's about. And we might not ever know what that's about. Well, I just he wanted to buy a book as a gift, right? Yeah, no, but they cl- but they know each other and there's a there's a sense of shared history there. Hmm, I didn't pick up on that. I I I just Watch figured that the, that the the bookstore owner knew who he was, but I didn't get I a got, sense I, that... I definitely got a sense of a personal connection there. Okay, I'll watch it again. Yeah, I mean, well, it's a great scene. Watch it again, for yeah. sure. 
So any uh, final thoughts on the season? We're going to try to do a, a season spotlight on this next week. Um, but any thoughts on this finale or the, the season as a whole? I, I, it's just been one of the most pleasant surprises. I mean, if I'd been paying more attention, I would have realized, oh, yeah, Ray McKinnon made a show and Walton Goggins was supposed to star in it. And now it's going to air and it's going to be awesome. But I wasn't paying enough attention, so I didn't know those things. Uh, and, yeah, it's just been fantastic. It's like watching uh, more than anything else on TV right now. It's it's like been, it's been like watching an unusually great independent film every week. You know, th- I, I guess I associate it with the Sundance brand because of where it airs. But it's actually very rare to see a to see a movie that has this sort of subject matter that's any good and Mm -hmm. i think it's this story really benefits from that larger canvas and like i said the acting and writing are at such a ridiculous level that it's just i'm yeah i'm i'm now more excited for the second season of this than most things that are going to be happening next year so i take it to rectify wins the weekend drama for you uh if we yeah if we're not counting the spotlight yeah, and for me as well. It was a fantastic close to a fantastic season. But let's take a break and come back with our spotlight on another fantastic drama this week, Mad Men. Hello, Kenny. How are you feeling? My foot's like new. You think you'll have new work on Monday? I'll have 15 campaigns for you by then, but you have to get me in a room so I can look them in the eye. The timbre of my voice is as important as the content. I don't know whether I'll be forceful or submissive, but I must be there in the flesh. You understand that I have no power whatsoever. That's not true. Not if they like you. Oh, they like me, all right. I'm their favorite toy. That's your job. It's my job to take them to dinner at 80 miles an hour. It's my job to stop them out from the restaurant so they can have five pounds of crab legs and three bottles of beer apiece and then go get prime rib. It's my job to go hunting so they can fire off their guns an inch from my ear and laugh when I get startled because it's my job. Where did you learn that? My mother. No. My first girlfriend. Going Out of My Head by Sergio Mendez and Brazil 66, which was featured in this week's episode of Mad Men, The Crash. So shall we just start with the second best tap dance this week on television? Ah, Ken Cosgrove. Um, That was fantastic. This this was, I mean, I I, I don't think there's any disputing that if it wasn't the best episode of the season, it was definitely the most fun. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, and and let's be clear, like some really dark stuff happens in the episode, but it was just nice to see them uh, toy with form, with surrealism, with tone in a way that they've kind of been too sheepish to do for the rest of the for the rest of the season. I think to its detriment, they kind of it's almost as though they were saving up all their crazy for just this episode. (laughs) Well, and I. It perfectly sets the mood when you notice a certain television show on in the background. So perfectly timed for us. The Prisoner, of course. Well, last week would have been more perfectly timed. But yes, still still pretty great. 
you, you made a re- you made a reference to that before I'd watched it, and then I got there and and knew immediately what you were talking about. Um, it's been really really fun and funny to try to watch. You know, because I, I don't I don't read too many TV recaps, but I, I had to read some of what people wrote about this because just, you know, there's such a quick turnover rate on those articles. And when you get to something like this, it's like, what I, if I was so glad that I'm not the one tasked with reviewing Mad Men on a weekly basis in written form? Because, you know, those those are generally supposed to go up the same evening. It's like, what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. And um, I have to say my favorite of the many theories thrown around about the episode is that the Chevy account is kind of like the Vietnam of their offices, whatever those are going to end up being called SCDP, Harry Hamlin, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's what, that's what it should be called. But, um, you know, this, this notion of, you know, uh, Ken, Ken shows up and he's wounded. Stan, you know, Stan loses a cousin, the and, and and just the whole notion of Chevy as this quagmire they're all trapped in helplessly and restlessly and I think that's an interesting idea I don't know if it's literally what they were going for but it's I think it's a useful way to think of the episode well I'm certainly looking forward to the Tom Lorenzo write-up even more than normal this week just watching the um the the pen sequence the William Dell sequence I was immediately oh, reminded of Deer Hunter watching it just in the the just the physicality of of Stan, let alone that that tie across, you know, the tie bandana. Um, I thought it was just a really, really strong episode. Maybe not the most subtle, but I, I don't care. <laughs> no, definitely not the most subtle. Uh, do you think Stan still got a beard next week? By the way. Yeah, I think Stan still has a beard next week. Just, just um, checking. I, I I know there's some theory there. I loved his scene with Peggy. I thought it was beautiful and. I don't think that his sleeping with Wendy negates it at all. Um, I loved the uh, uh, don't kiss me. I have a you, stop. And he just looks at her and he goes, you don't, you don't want me to stop. And not just, not like just pushing his male gaze onto her, but actually looking at her and reading her. And I think that's really interesting for where, what we've seen from her this season with, uh, with him, uh, <laughs> Abe, <laughs> And, um, yeah, I think that there was a lot of really great stuff, just comedic and dramatic in this episode. We do have to talk about uh, Aunt uh, Grandma Ida. Yeah, and I think it's people have leveled uh, some very fair criticism at that uh, for the fact that if you look back at the whole history of Mad Men and its depictions of black characters, not necessarily the most positive. Mm -hmm. And Grandma Ida is clearly, I mean... It's tricky because if she had shown up in the Sterling Cooper offices, I think she would have been written off as being a, you know, sort of a boogeyman representation of that sort of character. But she doesn't show up there. She shows up at the house with the kids who are not on uh, speed and B12. Uh, As far as we know, they might be. Uh, Maybe we missed a scene. But uh, I, I did think that it was... It was appropriate for an episode that was so uh, sort of on edge uh, to have a situation where the kids are potentially in danger, which I don't think has ever really happened before, uh, unless you just count the fact that Don is their dad, um, which is dangerous. <laughs> and Betty's their mom. <laughs> and Betty's their mom, which is probably equally dangerous. Uh, she's looking noticeably slimmer this week, by the way. Um, but so it kind of suggesting that she's maybe also on something, perhaps. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was effective 
in a dramatic sense in one way and I think slightly objectionable in another way. I do think that people have a valid criticism for the treatment of race on, on the series this season, but also just the series as a whole. The I, I did like we saw the ever competent Dawn earlier in the episode, so there is a positive African American character in the episode, however briefly. But I think having that character be black just adds to the surreality of the whole thing. So when she's saying, I'm your grandmother, you're like, that doesn't make sense. But in this episode, oh, it, maybe it did she give, is. <laughs> it did give any of the Bobbies their best line ever, for sure. Oh my god, yeah, that was that was hilarious. <laughs> but you know, I th- I thought that that served a very valid purpose of you know that that later phone call with 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 Don and, and Sally, where he does apologize and she says, "I don't know anything about you, so I didn't have any way to know she was lying." I, I, yeah, I, I like that his secrecy and his continual lies aren't spilling out to not only endangering himself with Megan, but also the safety of his children now. So I, I guess I would defend this, you know, this choice to, of what happens in the episode because I think it does bring up very important stuff for that relationship. I um speaking of Don, some of Don's stuff worked great this week. Some of it, not so much. I actually really liked the scene between Don and Sylvia on the phone. And I think that was, that was sort of a nice little epilogue. Uh, well, not nice. It was painful, but it, it was really nicely acted. And uh, I, I don't expect we're going to be seeing that much more of Linda Cardellini on the show, but I think she's been really, really great. Uh, the uh, I mean, the aspect of the show of the episode that I'm pretty sure nobody liked was the flashbacks. I, yeah. I think the, the, the notion of seeing when Don lost his virginity is actually interesting in and of itself. And I think but I can think of, you know, a dozen other episodes where it would have been more relevant. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't think the scenes were particularly great, even though. Funnily enough, it was one of the first, um, it was maybe the first flashback we've spent with young Don where I could sort of see flashes of later Don mm-hmm. in the performance, which I did think was kind of interesting in and of itself. But yeah, I didn't think it added anything to the episode at all. No, and it felt like a like a pale imitation of Lost, the way that it was structured. And now we stop and stare into the distance and then we go to a flashback. I mean... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, we really didn't need them. I would much rather have spent that time in as in in the. I was going to list off the initials, but in the firm. I would just like to. I would like to clarify. We spent ten minutes with Don's childhood, but we didn't get Bob Benson on drugs. Come on. And I think that was very intentional. They didn't want us to see Bob Benson on drugs, or to put it in a situation where you had to find out whether he would take drugs. Um, and I like that Joni just goes home too. We don't see her in that situation. Yeah. But um, I could have definitely gone for work Ginsburg. I could have gone for, um, I could have gone for a lot more at, at the firm rather than flashbacks. Well, and more Roger, which, you know, mm-hmm. anytime we get Roger in drugs, it's like, it's, it's yeah, nice. more Cutler too. Watch, <laughs> just watching Harry Hamlin run up those stairs was just some of the funniest physical comedy on the in the episode. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think uh, Ginsburg's been really underserved this season. I think he's one of the most interesting characters, and we haven't spent nearly enough time with him. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful to see Peggy immediately cut through the bullshit with Don. She's like, have you even been working on Chevy at all this weekend? <laughs> Ginsburg doesn't, you know, he's trying to connect it, and he's assuming that it must somehow connect to Chevy, and he just doesn't get it. Peggy knows that this is just bullshit, and yeah. I really appreciate that. Well, and, and another thing that the the, the flashbacks kind of ruin is I, I really like the idea of, of the last moment of the episode, Don being like, wait a second, this was all a waste of time. The work is all terrible. We've been up for days for no good reason. 
and just saying, you know what, I'm, I can't do this. It turned this place into a whorehouse, which, which would have been a great way to end the episode if it hadn't been for the flashbacks, which made that parallel really annoying. Well, we've been watching this show for five years. We know what it is. You don't, you know, you, we can infer certain things. You should trust your audience. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, other than that, I can't complain too much because it was just such a fun and funny and uh, and just so consistently ballsy episode not necessarily in terms of the context of the show but in terms of the context of tv in general it was just so wild and and just willing to take risks with in almost every scene yeah definitely definitely uh one of the best if not the best for the season for me and uh yeah i, I assume we're not going to get more anything like this anytime soon but uh yeah it, I, it's one that this is the first episode that i can say i look forward to rewatching at some point yeah, I actually wish I'd had time to watch it a second time before we recorded this because there was just so much. Yeah, definitely. Well, a few show notes here before we go to our DVD shelf. Our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. You can find a post up for this at soundonsite.org. We would love to get a comment from you. Let us know what you think about the various questions posed over the course of the episode. And, of course, our question of the week, which we'll get to in a moment here with Simon. Of course, you can also find us in iTunes. We have an M4A chaptered feed as well as an MP3 unchaptered feed. Uh, please rate or and or review us there. It does help other people find the show. If you rate or review us in a country other than the United States, please let us know because it's really tricky for us to find out about those, and we would like to thank you. Um, let's see. Of course, you can also email us, theteleverse at gmail.com, and you can also reach us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are? At Sucker Howell. What's our question of the week? Well, I guess, you know, we mentioned that we, we teased the whole anniversary show and you're, you're not going to get to choose what we talk about. That's our job. But uh, I, I, I am wondering if there's any huge glaring omissions of shows that we've never discussed or even discussed discussing mm -hmm. that you've always been like, what's up with that? OK, good. Let us know. To kind of tie in with that, I forgot to mention, of course, you can like us on Facebook and vote for the Make Kate Watch Stuff poll, which will be up before this episode actually goes live, for what you want to make me watch this week. If there's shows that you feel like we're overlooking, let me know, and I will add them to the poll for either this week or the next week, depending on when you get a hold of me. And, um, yeah, let us know what uh, what glaring omissions we have. Um, now we're going to take a break, listen to a clip and some music, and come back with Scott Meslow of the week to talk Bored to Death. There's something I've been meaning to tell you. Oh, shit. I hate when people say that. What? I've been moonlighting as a private detective. I thought you'd be older. Well, I got into the business at a young age. I have been reading so many of these detective novels that I know what to do. This is all very insane and illegal, isn't it? It is illegal and insane. I like insane. <clears throat> I believe you're a detective. I'm not a licensed detective. No. I'm a writer. It sounds like your heart's in the right place. You cannot mess with other people's lives like that. You can barely lead your own life. I can help people. Are you delusional? All the shadows in the city Used to love you, but the pity
back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we are talking Bored to Death, a uh, unfortunately short-lived series on HBO, only 24 episodes. So, it, and, and it focuses on the PA genre, uh, one that I know we're fans of at the Televerse. And so it should be fun to dive into. Here to help us talk toward Bored to Death from theweek.com, the entertainment editor for them, it's uh, Scott Meslow. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks. Pleasure to be here. So Bored to Death, what uh, prompted you to choose this series? You know, Bored to Death is actually a show with a very special place in my heart. Um, this is the first show that I ever recapped back when I used to work. Uh, I used to write for TheAtlantic.com. I pitched this show. It was during the second season. Um, and I think I didn't do the third season there because no one read those recaps. No one was really watching it, unfortunately. Uh, the second show I did was a little show called The Walking Dead that you might have heard of, and that drew a little more traffic. <laughs> But, um, but Bored to Death, you know, it's a show that I stuck with. It had one more season after the second. Um, it's, it's an odd show. It's a show that I don't think is wholly successful, but it's a show that I personally have a lot of affection for, for both professional and reasons that I think there are a lot of things to appreciate about it. So, Well, before we get into uh, our, our reactions to it and our thoughts on the series, would you mind giving us uh, a bl- brief uh, synopsis? Because it is one that not very many people checked out. Yeah, absolutely. It was a three-season show on HBO. Um, in theory, the premise is uh, Jason Schwartzman plays Jonathan Ames, who is a writer who wrote one successful novel and is struggling with his second, uh, gets broken up with by his girlfriend, and drunkenly decides he's going to moonlight as a detective on Craigslist. And so he's kind of ineptly solving crimes, along with his best friend, played by Zach Galifianakis, who's an amateur cartoonist, and his boss slash kind of childlike friend uh george christopher played by ted danson who runs a magazine that he writes for um you know i I say that's the premise only because i think the show goes out of its way to get away from that premise at pretty much every opportunity and becomes much more of just a hanging out show yeah i'd agree definitely it's uh it's it's sort of a it's it's not really as genre as you might expect but there's definitely a love letter in this series to the old uh, PI genre, you know, the Sam Spade, Philip Marlowe um, dynamic, even just down to the scoring. I love the scoring of this, this series, but I guess I should get into thoughts. Obviously you, you're a big fan of the show, uh, Scott. I only checked out about six or seven episodes, but I actually really liked it as well. I mean, I'm a sucker for, for noir, so it's, you know, it's not hard maybe to get me to like a detective series, but, um, but no, I I wasn't a hundred percent sold on the pilot, but by the second episode, I was on board, and I, I you know I really enjoyed not only the the humor. I, I'm I'm not uh, a fan of pot humor, so that might have explained some of my detachment from the the first episode. But by the time you start to get um, more a stronger sense of the the detective side of things, but also I think they they got better at the relationships between the characters. Um, pretty quickly but that's that's what really drew me in and i ended up actually having a lot of fun with the series and i look forward to going back and and seeing some more of it yeah i mean i think it's it's a fun show to watch it's an easy show to watch um and it's a show that i can appreciate on a lot of different levels it's you can really flip on a random episode and just kind of enjoy the antics of it the humor the quirkiness um but there are occasionally and this is what i really like about it that i think separates it from a lot of other just kind of fun shows to watch. There are these very deep wells of emotion to the show that it occasionally dips into, and I actually wish it had done it more. If I had one critique of the show, that would be it. Uh, they've got this really 
really well-acted, well-written relationship between Jason Schwartzman and Ted Danson, where they're, it's a father-son thing, it's a, it's a friend's thing, it's a boss-employee thing. Um, and I think, I, I think when the show really embraces that, it becomes something more than a fun comedy. It becomes this sweet, poignant, funny, tragic kind of mini-drama in the middle of this very outsized comedy. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, Simon, I know you had a little more trouble with at least the early episodes you saw. What ended up being your take on Bored to Death? Well, I remember I used to work at a video store in Montreal, and we, when we first got in the Bored to Death season sets, I remember uh, we occasionally would stick them on, and whenever we did it, and, and admittedly this is, you know, that's sort of a half-watching process, whenever we did that, I would always get annoyed with it. And so my memory of it was just extremely negative. It doesn't help that I'm... To be honest, not the world's biggest Jason Schwartzman fan. I think in with the right casting, I think he can be great. I think of Rushmore or even Scott Pilgrim. I think he he's great in the right role, but I don't necessarily think of him as like a really compelling series lead. And now having watched a whole bunch more of it, I still don't really think of him as a super compelling series lead. But I did like the show more than I remembered liking it. I think my this is sort of not really fair, but I think my biggest knock against the show is that I think Guy reads detective fiction, decides that he's going to be a detective, even though it's unlicensed and kind of illegal, is a fantastic concept that, as you said, Scott, the show kind of deliberately, you know, it, it in the pilot, they, they set it up as though it's going to be the whole show, especially with this whole, the whole warning from the police officer who tells him not to do it again, et cetera, et cetera, which, which is sort of a red herring. And then they sort of, you know, they run off in a whole bunch of other directions, which I think is kind of too bad because I think it's a fantastic con- – I, f- I feel like someone should try that concept again but do it as a whole show and maybe not even as – probably not as much of a comedy as this is. Uh, I think that deserves a mulligan on its own. But anyway, uh, I, I also think that without Ted Danson, the show would totally fall apart. I I think that without George Christopher, the 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 – I don't think that the other attempts at sort of big emotion really work or connect as well. I don't think any of the romantic relationships are as nearly as interesting as their relationship, uh, especially because the female characters generally aren't that interestingly drawn and or don't stick around long enough to become well-developed enough. So uh, I, I think that he's absolutely crucial to the portion of the show that works the best. Yeah, I, I actually wholeheartedly agree. Um, and I think the show eventually dispenses with most of the, the show eventually realizes it's essentially about a relationship between three men and even probably more accurately between those two. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. Uh, Born to Death is actually, it's based on a kind of a short story novella by Jonathan Ames, the actual author. Um, and it's, I think it's actually much more of kind of the thing that you're talking about, Simon, and that it's, it's very strange. It's kind of dark. It's told in the first person and neither the character played by Zach Galifianakis or the character played by Ted Danson are in it at all. It's basically a, it's basically a straight noir. Um, and it's in adapting it. They, Jonathan Ames is a huge part of the show and appears in the show, but um, it was adapted very, very loosely. And I think you can feel the tension between the source material and what they decided they wanted to do with the show pretty much from the word go. I guess I just have less of a problem with it than you do. Yeah, I, mean, I, I I will say that I do think the early episodes are really problematic, and I, I I don't think that it's until a little bit later that I started to to appreciate what it was doing. And I, I think you, you mentioned it's an easy show to watch. And I think by then, yes, it it becomes an easy an easy show to watch. But 
at first it, I, f- I feel like it's really struggling with tone, really struggling with why, like, especially as the tenderness of that relationship isn't established yet. And without that, I feel like the Jonathan Ames character is much more difficult to take, especially in, in the context of that first relationship they set him up with, with um, Olivia Thirlby from Juno. Yeah, like everything to do with that relationship I just found difficult to watch. Uh, so as soon as she exits the picture, actually, it, that's probably another reason it gets easier yeah. to deal and with. And they dispense with it entirely. I mean, she never yes. comes up again after the first season. Which is, yeah, was definitely a good move. Wise choice. It's interesting because I, like I said, I really liked the second episode and I was just in uh, by that at that point. And then again, the second episode is where I felt, and I thought the casting of Kristen Wiig bringing her in for that small role was just hilarious and and great casting. Um, and that was a, con- a consistent strength for me watching the series. And maybe just the episodes that I happened to watch were more capery or more focused on the detective side of things because yes, there's that clear emotional connection between the the three, but almost all the episodes I watched were very centered on on a case, at least as the strong B subplot, if not the A. Um, So that's interesting. I wonder if I'll have a different experience watching, like as I fill in the gaps when I go back to the series, but just the, just the fact of a sort of, pretend noir detective who drinks white wine I think is just inherently hilarious and so by the time you have him sitting at the bar um you know trying to get a sense of that Kristen Wiig character and and take his you know what will be his second case the whole time sipping a, a glass of wine and talking about parental issues in relationships I just I thought it was great yeah I mean I think Part of what you're talking about with Kristen Wiig, and it's a th- I think it's a thing that the show has actually not gotten enough credit for, is the it's one of those shows where they assemble a guest cast that is just insane. Like it's in, in random episodes, you get Patton Oswalt is in it, Kevin Bacon, Oliver Platt, John Hodgman shows up a bunch of times, Parker Posey, Jim Jarmusch, Isla Fisher, Jenny Slate, like just so many people who had forgotten showed up. I, I rewatched some episodes again for this podcast, and it was like, oh yeah, that person's in this, that person's in this, and that's. If anything works for me about that case of the week structure, it's that they bring so many interesting people into that structure and do interesting things with them. I don't think it's the heart of the show, but I think it's the thing the show did well and got better at doing, although I think the second season is stronger than the first or the third. Yeah, I only um, I didn't get to see much of the third season. I I, I skipped straight to the end because I'm always curious about how series wind up. I oh, will that's give very it points. Unfortunate. I, I I I will give it points for a not without spoiling things a a delightfully wrong last shot, which <laughs> you know maybe if the series I, I I feel like if they'd gotten another season they probably would have backtracked from that. Well, there is but, talk about. I mean, the movie is still allegedly happening. They're talking about wrapping it with a movie still. I don't think that's going to happen. I would be surprised if that happened. As recently as last month, Jonathan Ames gave an interview about it. If we if we thought that was going to happen, though, we wouldn't be doing this DVD show. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, we have a thing against. We had Nick's Arrested Development. We 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 have to wait for the IT crowd. It's a whole thing. Well, I'm still holding out hope. If there's a movie, we'll be happy to have you back to to add a sure. little addendum based on. Happily do so. Yeah, on that. No, I think you're absolutely right, Simon. I, the I had issues with that the the last episode because I, I I did I similarly I 
I saw some of the early episodes. I saw the season one finale, season two premiere. Tried to catch some of those, you know, in that stretch of season two that is apparently almost universally considered the strongest part of the series. And then had run out of time, so I just watched the finale and didn't see any other season three. Uh, and, and jumping in there, I thought there was some some interesting elements. I thought it was fun to see Stacey Keach as as the, the the biological father and of course it's HBO so you know incest is wincest but uh but yeah no the, the that final shot is just hilarious especially following up being especially following that just incredibly heartfelt and sweet and amazing uh toast from Ted Danson's character and um and such a lovely moment I, I like has he Mary Steen Virgin uh, serenading the, the group with that ukulele? It's a very lovely put together final shot. But then when you think about you know that that one detail of our main couple that we're we're watching dance, it's uh, it's just I guess that may just encapsulate the series in general. You know, like on the surface, it's a really straightforward premise, really um, really sweet. Very you know when it, it nails it really nails the emotion. But there's some some comedy underneath. Some maybe that's not quite right. Comedy underneath that that makes it you know an extra level of fun. I I do think though that when we when we talk about the show as a comedy, the stuff that works for me is sort of the more dry humor. Like the the um, my favorite running gag is is um, whenever a client interrupts Jason Schwartzman to say, actually no, I really don't care about your thing. We're here to talk about my thing which happens at least four times in the episodes that I watched. The more broad humor, especially the ongoing feuds between uh, Platt and Danson or between Schwartzman and Hodgman, that stuff was kind of groan-inducing for me a lot of the time. Oh, I could watch John Hodgman be in a feud with somebody, I think, all, forever. It doesn't really matter who he's in a feud with. I will always enjoy that. So maybe that's just me. <laughs> yeah, I'm with Kate. It's, I just think the casting of those those guys, like it, it becomes so absurd, but in a way that because of those personalities it just plays for me like i would i probably unfairly defend the show in some ways because the tone really is all over the place i don't actually really disagree with anything you're saying simon i just it's so idiosyncratic it, it's so just its own thing and it's so happy to be the thing it is that it just i don't know it warms my heart well then the one of the favorite things i had about the this show and it's Maybe not the best thing to have as one of your favorite elements to a show, but as I started to watch the very first episode, I love the opening credit sequence. It's so oh, beautiful, and it's one of my favorites probably that I've ever seen. It's so creative, and I wanted to freeze frame the the DVD to see which words were leaving each person as as they you know leave the the screen. For those who haven't seen it, it's you open to a page of a book. That is probably a Raymond Chandler kind of detective story. And then the words jumble together to form pictures. And so we follow basically our, our main character as he's tailing a femme fatale into a bar. And you see the other characters in the show as well. Um, it's just so creative and fun and just really sets the tone for what the show is. And uh, so, yeah, just the, for me, the details is what this gets right. And that's one of them. Like I said earlier, I love the music. Even just the costuming I thought was really was really fun and creative and really kind of put me in, into this this world. So while yes, it does have issues, I just I love the specificity of it. Now I've never been to New York. I, apparently, a lot of especially the the first season was shot on on location in Brooklyn. Yes, and in fact, that's actually something that I've gained a new appreciation for. When I when I reviewed the show uh, for the first time, I lived in Washington D.C. and I was just kind of like, great, New York show. Uh, but when 
you know, my girlfriend and I moved to Brooklyn about about a year ago and watched the show again as we moved here. She'd never seen it before, and it was my second time through. And I did gain a whole new appreciation for the sense of geography that they were pulling off in a way that I totally missed the first time. I mean, there really is, you know, I've got those kind of those great shots of the subway line when the characters are moving from one way to the other. They kind of show the map mm-hmm. and graphic. It's very cultural in a way that I don't, I don't know if, at least I didn't appreciate it the first time, which is either a failing of me as a critic or a failing of the show to convey to convey that to someone who doesn't know the area. But it is something that makes it a lot more fun to watch. I've never lived in New York, but I've been to New York twice, and I, I certainly picked up on that. I mean, it's hard not to, frankly. When I think it's in the second season opener, you have Schwartzman running through Times Square in a gimp suit, <laughs> which had to have been a thing to organize. Oh, my and, God. Not the uh, subtlest moment in the show. Not the subtlest moment, but I still I appreciated that they it could not have been uh, easy to do that. <laughs> yeah. Just him on the bridge, just the bowled over, <laughs> trying to breathe. Yep. Oh my god, yeah. See, that's... actually, I don't even know if it was really Schwartzman in there, but that's a good point. I can't imagine. <laughs> Who Maybe knows? He's a method guy. Yeah, he could be. He could be. I felt like the I, physicality I was right really for the character. Know now. <laughs> I really want to know. But see, that's when you talk about the the character uh, relationships being the strength for you, Simon. I'm fine with a incredibly broad joke like our protagonist running through New York in a gimp suit and then jumping up, getting pressed up against the glass of the meeting room, and they're thereby disturbing uh, George's, you know, new new partnership, as it and were. And their prayer circle. Yes. And their prayer circle. I just. Yes. Even that is great for character because George totally sides with him. Like there, there is like a real, you know, like you know where the loyalties lie in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And George it's... actually evolves that way throughout the first season. I don't think he was originally written as supportive and as like weirdly childlike slash creepily adult as he is simultaneously. Yeah, I, I don't think they they started off the show with a really strong sense of of the Ray Jonathan George triumvirate. And I, I feel like that's something that, that they, it took a while for them to figure out. In the first um, first few episodes, it does feel like George George likes Jonathan, but he's Jonathan's basically his pot dealer. Yeah, there's not they're they're you know like they're they're friendly and 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 they you know he likes George likes him, but but there isn't any real sense of a strong co- connection in that same you know way that that we do get later. By the time we get to season two, there when we've got that great. George Jonathan, uh, George is diagnosed with prostate cancer and is kind of contending with suddenly this weird thought of his mortality when he thought of himself as immortal um, and getting very close to Jonathan as he talks about it. I think that's, I mean, to my money, one of the main reasons I picked this show is I think, I think Ted Danson's performance in Board Death is the great overlooked performance on TV in the past decade in terms of you know, critics who watch the show like it, um, but no awards attention, no real. And I just think like he created the most unique singular character that is so funny sometimes, so moving sometimes and just pops off the screen in every episode to me by the time they've figured him out in the mid season one. Well, I, I kind of feel like it's it's easy to take dancing for granted because his whole post, his whole bizarre post cheers career has actually been pretty great i mean if you think of him on damages as well i mean he was just as good if not better there and he's just and and i I like that they cast him as a guy who thinks who thinks of himself as a mortal because he has this bizarre like he has this totally singular visual presence like there's nobody who looks like ted danson aside from maybe some period era drawings of frankenstein like they just don't (laughs) exist 
and so to, to have him as this guy who's, who's in a relatively prestigious position and thinks of himself that way, I think is is just good casting. And it's such a buffoon, but it's so smart. Yeah, I mean, it's it's there's so many contradictions, and I and I like him in Damages, but I love him in this. Like I really yeah. really love him in this. It, it, and it does feel to me like, and I think it's both a strength and a weakness. It feels to me like, in a in a way, the, those three characters are kind of in three different shows. You know, they're they're you know their professions or lack thereof aren't really connected to each other. You know, Ray has his whole comic book career that doesn't really touch anybody else until arguably the finale. Um, and uh, you know, sometimes they get involved in his cases, but not all that often. Um, I, I wonder if the show would have been stronger if they made more of an effort to intertwine their lives more or if it's actually a strength. I haven't really sorted that out yet. I don't know if this happened in an episode I didn't see. Did we actually ever see Jonathan and Ray collaborate on that comic? I don't think so. No, that never actually happens. Yeah, because that or it happens off screen or... It's, I think it's more or less an aborted plot line. I mean, the first season, they're clearly sorting a lot of things out. Yeah, that was in the finale of the first season, yes? Yeah, and sec- the second season has... Certainly not a full-on reboot, but they said, like I said, they they dropped the girlfriend character for Jonathan. Like it, it, they're doing different things. He's a teacher at the start of the second season, mm-hmm. so I guess that's a that's a lost plot line somewhere in Bored to Death Land. Yeah, lost in a, universe. Frankly, probably lost in a pot haze. Let's be honest. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's a good thing about this show. Explain it all away. Now, did that? Because for me, uh, yes, it's it's funny. But when I'm watching, I did. Every, every now and again go oh and we're gonna have the same pot jokes again did that was that a problem for either of you guys at all did you even notice that or is it just because of my no drugs uh, approach life policy life policy um, i don't know the, the i i feel like the the pot humor is appropriate for the characters and their milieu and their <laughs> and their and their take on life uh i do agree that I think by its very nature, pot humor is kind of limited, but I don't, I, I, I didn't feel like it was abused. Yeah. I feel like it's in uh, what I would, the great promo image for the show of, you know, Jonathan with a glass of white wine, Ray with pot and George with a martini like that. Mm-hmm. That kind of is the show to me. And I think all of those things are in play, but it's not like you do a whole episode about, Oh, we're so stoned right now. At least not yeah. that I recall. Yeah, I did enjoy because uh, like you were saying, Sam, it does feel you know it does feel very true to the characters, and uh, and where they are, where they're at. And I did enjoy some of the the throwaway lines of Oh, weren't you going? What? Why are you talking about this? Oh, he's high. Oh, okay, then all of a sudden everything makes sense. And, well, it, uh, it, it's also essential in this it, it, in the sense that if the show has an overarching theme, it's right there in the title of the that these people. For various, for actually very different reasons, they need these sort of altered states to be more or less kept up all the time because otherwise the pressures of life, whether externally or internally imposed, threaten to, you know, destroy them. And that is admittedly a very difficult thing to build a show around. I mean, it might have been, appropriately for this show, it might have been a Don Quixote mission, you know, because that's basically how the show ends with George as Don Quixote. I mean, the idea that you're going to build a whole show around people who are bored and have no direction in life is a fundamentally a very difficult thing to try to pull off well and yes. I, th- I think they do a good job of not overly glamorizing or criticizing their characters either for yes. their various successes and failures both as you know emotionally with george and his you know his relationship with with his ex-wife and and his daughter but but also you know ray and uh and, and jonathan with their comics and books until of course ray is successful later on but 
you don't get you know i do have a sense that they are jonathan and and ray are good at what they do even if for various reasons they aren't uh more successful well i i think one of the signs that they're doing it right is mid-season two when george's boss played by mary Kay play says oh yeah you need to go to rehab you think well maybe like she might be right <laughs> but also i like george i don't think you should go to rehab <laughs> Or in the first uh, couple episodes when they're talking about how Suzanne wants Jonathan, uh, feel, thinks that Jonathan is an alcoholic and wants him to stop drinking. It, really? Is he an alcoholic? I mean, I don't think we actually, I don't, we don't, don't get much, lives. we don't yeah. get much evidence that he's an alcoholic, to be honest. We get evidence that he's maybe as much of a pot addict as George is or close to it, but I never really bought that he was an alcoholic. I don't even remember seeing him drunk in an episode. Well, he only drinks white wine, which doesn't count. <laughs> exactly you see him drinking a lot at least in the episodes i saw uh he's often drinking but no he doesn't really seem drunk very often he's a social drinker they all are i mean they're all social everything and that's the relationships are so i mean you just have this sense of they all accept each other so much for how totally different they are you know you've got that great scene early on where the uh jonathan and ray do the hemingway and fitzgerald thing where I think if Jonathan is worried about his penis size and asks Ray to check him out in a bathroom and Ray's just like, yeah, you're normal. And it's just like this total, like, strange throwaway. But, like, that's how comfortable these people are with each other. And there's no there's no judgment. And I guess that's maybe I'm charitably extending that towards the show and just accepting the flaws and saying, you know, you are what you are. And I kind of dig that you are what you are. Well, there's something very, uh, very comfortable and appealing about a show that like just like these characters knows what it is and knows what it's trying to do and and isn't uh doesn't feel uncomfortable with that in any way um and those you know because it's not this is not a mass appeal show though i do think that more people should have watched it um i could see how how somebody would not you know would be frustrated by the the jason schwarzman character or, or some of these other um elements to the show and not want you know not want to tune in who wants them to do more or wants them to change their lives or be better people or, or whatever. But the show doesn't care about that. And if that's what you're going to focus on, instead of seeing the comedy in front of you and also the, the pathos and the relationships, then they just are fine with you tune out. Yes. Uh, but sum it up for me, you know, I, I think that the show is, is perfectly decent, but I still want to watch the show that it isn't. <laughs> I still want that show. I'd watch that show, too. Now, do you guys have any favorite episodes or moments that you want to mention? Any final thoughts? Yeah, I, if I was talking about, I think the the quintessential great moment of the show to me is when George is about to be wheeled off for his prostate cancer surgery, not knowing whether or not he's going to come back out of it. And Jonathan just kind of very unassuming says, you know, I just if anything happens, I want to tell you that I love you. And then the nurse comes in and says, oh, is this your son? And George looks up at Jonathan and says, yes. And it's like, in the middle of this wacky comedy, it's it's this beautiful, like, I was very moved. I still am talking about it, honestly, I'm a little moved. And it's this, you know, it's, the show was occasionally reaching for something like that. And when it did, it it hit me in a way that most sitcoms never quite do. So that's that's my bored to death pitch. Like, stick around for the, you show up for the comedy and occasionally it'll sucker punch you in a way that feels good. Simon? I just want to quickly mention that uh, one of the principal directors on the show is now one of the principal directors on Game of Thrones, which I find very disorienting. Both beautifully shot. 
Yeah, definitely. I guess the 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 thing I'll mention is, you know, because of course most of my highlights we've already talked about. Um, <laughs> I remember that that gimp suit run for a long time, um, but uh, there's a lot of there are a lot of shows on right now, especially sitcoms, where the central relationships are not one of uh, acceptance or friendship, where it's somebody's a screw up and another character is trying to fix them. You see that a lot on, on New Girl with Nick and Jess. You see uh, very antagonistic relationships on a lot of on a lot of shows, or where they're friends, but the one gives the other one a hard time all the time. And it's something that Simon and I talked about with the cancellation of Ben and Kate, how it was so nice to have a show on where you felt like the characters did actually like each other, and they weren't, they, they were choosing to spend time together, and it was just a very positive series. And that's, I guess, I would say that this falls into that same mold. And, uh, and it, you know, I would not have Bored to Death is not one of those series that shows up on a list of canceled too soon or underseen gem. You'll see shows like Better Off Ted. You'll see, um, you know, there there are a number of of sitcoms that show up on comedies you should you should check out that you may not have seen. And Bored to Death is not one of them. And uh, so therefore, I wouldn't have sought it out. So thank you very much for picking it, Scott, because I do think it's one of those ones that that people should seek out. And I I believe. You know, I think it earns its spot next to a show like Better Off Ted uh, as one of those, you know, it's only 24 episodes. Check it out. Yeah, my pleasure. Glad you guys enjoyed it. Well, you did. Simon, I'm glad <laughs> you like it a little better than you did before. My work is done. Yeah, that, that's, that's an accurate description. I'll live with that. <laughs> now, uh, Scott, thank you so much for coming on. Where can our listeners find you online? Yeah, my pleasure. I'm at uh, theweek.com. I'm the entertainment editor, and I do a fair amount of the entertainment coverage. I review Game of Thrones there uh, and Mad Men right now. I'll be doing more shows in the years to come. And I'm on Twitter at at Scott Medlow. Well, thank you again for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode of The Television.